Hey, Geeks Radio listeners, all these years you've listened to the Totally Super Podcast, the Trek Off Podcast, the Pop Off Podcast, and wondered, hey, is there a way I can get my message out there on these podcasts? Well, finally there is. You see, we're making a brand new movie called Cancellation. The plot of the movie is this. What happens when your stereotypical sitcom girlfriend realizes that she's just a character on a sitcom and that sitcom is coming to an end, which means she's going to cease to exist? Can she convince her friends to help her fight against the show just so they can all survive? Well, that's the question of the movie, and you can help us make it by going to Kickstarter and donating to the movie. You can get there easily. Just go to getcanceled.com. That's getcanceled.com. Now, Kickstarter always has rewards, and one of the rewards on there, along with the other millions of awesome things you can get, actually allows you to get a message out on Trek Off or Totally Super. That's right. You get the reward. You're going to get a DVD with it and a poster, digital downloads of a bunch of stuff you can't get anywhere else, and a chance to get your message heard on Trek Off or Totally Super. Now, there are other rewards. Go check it out. It's going to be an awesome movie and we really, really need your help. So I'm asking you, as someone who's listened to our podcasts, to please help us make Cancellation the motion picture. Okay, on to the show. The following contains plot spoilers and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. James McAvoy is a gift to the modern acting community. That just needed to be said. On the flip side, does Bruce Willis, like, actually want to do movies anymore? That is a totally honest question, and this is Totally Super. Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are uh, reviewing, just days after it came out, the 2019 film, the wrap-up of the Unbreakable Split trilogy uh, by Scant days since its release, the most anticipated film since Avengers Infinity Wars, except not really. Not, no, not at all. No, I would say that that's, I would, uh, we'll talk about it. Except what I I just said, except the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So this is glass, ladies and gentlemen. We've been leading up to this. Uh, we did Unbreakable. We did Split. If you've listened to those, uh, cool. We're glad you're here. If you haven't listened to those, yeah. you don't like if this is your first one, I think you can still enjoy this one because uh, I'll assume mm-hmm. that you've seen Unbreakable and Split. Spoilers for glass. We don't always have to announce that they're spoilers, but in this case, because the movie and is still And by in extension, theater. spoilers for Unbreakable and Split, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, so for those of you wanting to chime in, I would say, I'm not going to say definitively whether or not we're going to say go see it or don't go see it, but I will say there, for those of you who've read the reviews that it's terrible, the worst thing ever, um, and you're wondering whether or not you should actively avoid it and just listen to the show, I would say there are not reasons to actively avoid this film. Um, I would agree with that 100%. There was or not, a lot of the fan... A lot of the fan community sort of felt disappointed because the movie kind of went in a different direction than people were expecting, but that's not necessarily to the detriment of the film as a whole. Yeah. So if you're wondering whether or not you should actively just go, oh, I'll just listen to the podcast and not see the film, um, you don't have to actively go out and say it. I'm going to, um, I guess, spoiler alert for what I'm going to say at the end. You don't necessarily have to go out and see it either. <laughs> so we'll talk about those things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, all right. Spoiler alert is is given. Um, tell me about your experience seeing Glass, Arthur. Where, where, and when did you see it? 
I saw it at the AMC Theater at Disney Springs here in sunny Orlando. Um, I saw it on a uh, on a bright Monday afternoon, uh, just by my lonesome, uh, which is actually uh, shows what kind of an introvert I am. Frequently on my own is one of my favorite ways of watching certain films. Uh, so yeah, I went in and again, I had not seen Split for the first time until last week. Uh, so it was kind of cool going in and still, you know, really having re-immersed myself in this world with Unbreakable and Split and then immediately following it up with Glass. Uh, so the events of Split and how much we enjoyed James McAvoy in that made me predisposed to immediately just enjoy any time James McAvoy was on the screen. Uh, so yeah, that was the situation in which I watched it. I was going to see it this last weekend. Um, I was going to see it Monday. I didn't remember that Monday was a day off school for the kids. So um, I was very surprised when I had to take care of the kids all day Monday. So I went Tuesday. I went an early Tuesday morning. I was going to go this morning. And my schedule opened up so that I could immediately go. Very first show. IMAX show. I go to the theater. And Ooh, I'm like, IMAX. hey, give me, ticket, give me tickets for the 1045. Uh, split. They're like, fine. Uh, theater nine. So I go over to theater nine. I go in and there are like five or six people in it. And I get my, when I go to Regal, I get the kids club pack, uh, which is only like, it's a small drink and a little bit of popcorn and it's like seven bucks. And if you get that, then mm-hmm. like getting a candy is like two bucks off. So like 10 bucks mm-hmm. for popcorn, a drink and a pack of junior mints. Perfect. It's all I need. For just Not terrible. Minutes. And I sit down and I'm late to the film, but I'm like, oh, I'll miss the trailers. I, I like to see the trailers, but I'm, yeah, I'm okay. I go in and they're still playing the 20, which is like that, the ads before the trailers. And I'm in there oh, for a little Lord, bit yeah. until, I, until I realize this shouldn't be the case. So I go out and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's the 1115. The 1045 is the IMAX. And I didn't want to spend the oh, no, the IMAX, but I had to get back to my house because I've got a dog. And the dog, like I was already bailing on the dog for like two and a half hours by the time this is done, maybe three. I couldn't wait another half hour. So I said, I need to go see the 1045. Then it's, I asked for it. So clearly there's going to be space. Can I just go in the other one? No, we're going to have to charge you. Okay. Can we do it after? Are you kidding me? Uh, So they bring me back up to the front and they, and they go, okay, that's going to be $9 more. And I don't mind the money, but they are like feels like i feel like that scene in um i feel like that scene in zootopia it's a bait and switch <clears throat> well it's not just a bait and switch i feel like him in that scene in zootopia where they're like okay pushing this oh the slot scene while while the it's movie like is happening 10, yeah yeah it's ten fifty five at this point this button i'm like oh shit i'm missing the most shoot sorry i'm missing the movie this button finally they go in i'm like racing into the run 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 into the theater and i go in and there's nothing on the screen and nobody in the seats are you kidding me? So I go out and I'm like, I'm like, guys, 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 guys. This was supposed to start at 1045. The trailer should be almost over. There's nothing playing. I need to be out when this theater movie is done. I got to run. I really have to go. They're like, oh, oh, sorry. We'll start it up. Evidently, they don't play the movies if nobody's in the theater. But I'm in the theater. Uh-huh. Dead center in the theater. Yeah. I saw Glass literally by myself. In an IMAX theater. <laughs> in IMAX. In IMAX. Wow. Just me and the screen. I almost live tweeted it because I think that would have been fun. 
but I didn't. Uh-huh. I just let I let myself watch the movie, let myself get immersed. But I've never before had the. I've been nearly alone in a theater. I mean, my, I, I I feel like there's a, there's some kind of microcosmic metaphor for how alone we are in the universe when it's just you alone in an IMAX. Yes, that's it's that's how that's how into it uh, M Night is. He planned it ahead of time. Everybody <laughs> gets to see a load of their own IMAX theater. That's yes. how it goes. Oh, you expected that's, it was in this theater, but it is in fact an IMAX. What a twist. So it's worth noting, uh, w- this movie is doing very well, actually. This movie had plenty of people go see it. It's doing Good. pretty well. I'm glad to hear well that. So far. So my experience, nobody's going to see Glass at 1045 for a $20 IMAX screening. <laughs> Yeah. $20 at 1045 too. That kind of stinks. If I had known that, I would have yeah, gone. Seriously. Yeah. There's a theater nearby here called the Rio near where I live. And at the Rio, they have mm-hmm. now put in reclining leather seats and they'll bring your lunch to you like in an Alamo draft house. And the first show of the day, even in their largest screen, because they don't have IMAX, but even their largest screen, which is as big as an IMAX screen is $7. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had done that because twenty dollars. I don't know twenty bucks for this film. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. Talk about seriously, it. we'll talk. I mean, about this it. this is not exactly a film that needs the IMAX treatment. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a lovely, it's very well shot film. But you know, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, but so not, yeah. So that I, was like, my experience. You know, Gravity. You need to see an IMAX. This is yes. not that film. Uh, seeing this film by myself gave me a certain perspective. I was allowed to sort of immerse myself there's nobody next to me behind me i don't mm-hmm. have a date it's just me oh i love staring that when it can screen. you can just fully put yourself into exactly the space you want to be in yeah so i that's the the experience i had watching it so that's that was my experience mm-hmm. uh let's look right now at the number so far this is a movie that was cost 20 million dollars to make completely self-financed we talked about this last time when we did really split. this movie was only 20 million yep yep only 20 million Wasn't that, to isn't make. that like a third of what split cost uh, no, I think tw- Split was also, I think Split was like $9 million. Um, Oh, okay. But that's, you know, that's a f- that's one twentieth of the cost of Avengers. So mm-hmm. it's worth noting, you have to understand how little $20 million is. $20 million mm-hmm. is what it cost to make Dogma, I think, back in the day. I think <laughs> $20 million was the budget for Zach and Mary make a porno. Like, mm-hmm. you have to understand how little... 20 million dollars is in in filmmaking you it's un, it's unheard of to have a 20 million dollar mm-hmm. film that is a wide release at this point yeah in terms of like they're 20 million dollar dramas maybe but i guarantee you you know if i were just to look up let's just say here i'm gonna i'm on wikipedia and i'm gonna say on the basis of sex that's a movie that's out right now about ruth bader ginsburg right that's mm-hmm. that's just you know a story with with about a judge it's a biopic yeah yeah that movie was 20 million dollars that cost 20 million dollars that actually has made what you would what you would expect 18.2 million dollars on that 20 million this has made 100 million dollars on a 20 million dollar (laughs) budget well good for him and i have to say that does speak to that does speak to Shyamalan's ability because look you can like this movie you cannot like this movie you can say this movie is good or bad nothing about this movie to me looked cheap in any way no, no, no. It's it's um it's perfectly like like perfectly would fit in in a ninety million dollar film. I would say this is a ninety Absolutely. million dollar film when I was looking. Yeah, at it. I'm shocked um, it was that low. Of course, we knew that Shyamalan was out of money, 
Uh, he did the visit, which he self-financed. He couldn't get anyone to finance. That gave him enough money to make Split. He made Split. That was a giant hit. Use that to finance this. $20 million into this. This movie's made $100. Uh, in, that's his worldwide box office. It's still in its first weekend. It will probably tap out at like $200, $300 million, of which he, because he self-financed it, will probably get about 80 or $90 million. So like he's Not set for life haul. because of this movie. Yeah. So yeah. He did, you know, good job on, you know, when he is M night has become in doing these low budget movies, M night has become a safe bet in terms of money making. So he's become a, a safe, Oh, a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, 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 he, and he's betting on himself at this point. At this point, he is betting mm-hmm. on his own ability because nobody else financed this film. He did it himself. He did it. He did split and the visit on him by himself because nobody else wanted to. He did this by himself with some help from Blumhouse, but did this by himself mm-hmm. with uh, like because he knew it was going to be profitable. So good on him for doing yeah, that. Yeah, because he could. Yeah. yeah. All that being said, sir, what is the plot of Glass? All right. The plot of Glass. Let me pull that up here. do 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 Philadelphia, three weeks after the events of the movie Split. Kevin Wendell Crumb, the man known as The Horde, is still kidnapping teenage girls as sacred food for the beast. And this has drawn the attention of David Dunn, the hero from Unbreakable. Fifteen years after the fateful train crash that started it all, he is still acting as a vigilante superhero with the help of his son, Joe, still played by Spencer Treat Clark, who even 15 years later still possesses those haunting doe eyes that you want to just dive into like twin pools of infinite melancholy. David's search leads him to an abandoned clay factory where he and the Beast, James McAvoy's half-man, half-animal personality, have their first titanic battle. The girls are rescued, but David and Kevin find themselves suddenly under the intense lights and copious firearms of a SWAT team under the direction of Dr. Ellie Staple, played by Sarah Paulson. They capture the two and take them to an asylum, I think called Ravenswood. Don't quote me on that. At the asylum, Dr. Stable begins therapy in order to attempt to cure them of their delusions of being superpowered. But they are not the only patients in the asylum with that delusion. Also there is Elijah Price, Samuel Mother Effing Jackson himself, or as he prefers to be called, Mr. Glass. Mr. Glass is being kept under constant sedation because his genius is such that he would escape given full use of his mental faculties. Each of the three receives a visitor to the asylum. David's son Joe attempts to see him, though Dr. Staple refuses. Kevin is visited by none other than Casey, the heroine and survivor of Split, who, inspired by what she underwent, has sent her abusive hunk uncle to prison. In what can only be described as literally the plot of Beauty and the Beast, she has taken a keen interest in helping Kevin as best she can. And Mr. Glass is visited frequently by his mother, who still loves him while fully acknowledging the atrocities he has committed. Mr. Glass, through a combination of devilishly brilliant planning and one incident of murderous badassery, escapes from his room one night. He goes to Kevin's room, where he meets the Beast face to face, so to speak. Glass reveals his plans to let the whole world know about their existence, which falls in line with the Beast's desires, and the bad guys team up. Mr. Glass then goes to David's room, having disabled the water hoses that kept him in check, since water is David's one weakness, and informs him that they intend to destroy the Osaka Tower, the tallest new building in Philly, unless David breaks free and stops them. Glass reasons that if a superhero and supervillain fight in so public a place, then the whole world will realize they're real. The Beast and Glass leave through the basement, but are spotted on camera, and Dr. Staple calls in reinforcements. 
David intercepts the two immediately outside the hospital at, coincidentally, the exact moment that Mrs. Price, Casey, and Joe all show up as well, and they have a second Titanic battle under the watchful eye of the dozens of the hospital security cameras. The fight is interrupted when Joe reveals that he discovered what happened to Kevin's father. He was on the train that Mr. Glass wrecked to awaken David 15 years ago. What a twist! Kevin's father's death led him defenseless against his abusive mother, and thus led to the creation of all his different identities, including the Beast. In a fit of rage for what he did to Kevin, the Beast punches Glass in the stomach, mortally wounding him, then grabs David and leaps into a nearby water tank. Casey runs up to the Beast, and through the power of genuine compassion and love, allows Kevin to come to the forefront. But just in this touching moment of triumph, Kevin is shot by a SWAT sniper, with a mysterious black clover tattooed on his arm. Another SWAT officer, also with a mysterious black clover, drags the weakened David over to a puddle and proceeds to drown him. As he's drowning, Dr. Staple takes his hand, and using his flashback power, we see that Dr. Staple is in fact part of an Illuminati ah, is part of an Illuminati-like secret society. What a twist times two! Staple then goes to the dying Mr. Glass and explains that her organization has been removing both superhero and supervillain alike for 10,000 years, since the human race just can't handle what their existence would mean. With Kevin, David, and Elijah all dead, it seems like Dr. St Dr. Staple was victorious, until it is discovered that, what a twist cubed, this was Mr. Glass's plan all along. He never was going to Osaka Tower. He had reprogrammed all of the hospital's camera to live-stream the events to a private server, which he sent to his mother, Casey, and Joe. The film ends with Joe, Casey, and Mrs. Price in the train station where this all began, as Joe releases the videos to the world. The camera pulls away from them as we see everyone in the train station staring at their phones, as everyone reaches, to quote Mrs. Price, the moment when we're all let in on the universe. Fiend. So that is the plot, such as it is, of Glass. Mm -hmm. um, there is not, in its own, this is, there is not much that happens in this film. Uh, I was realizing, I left the, the theater thinking, wow, this was an extraordinarily slow-paced film. But then I thought back to it, and to be honest, not much happens in Unbreakable, and that is also a very slow-paced film. Yeah, so that, that's, if I were to boil down the plot, if I heard it correctly... What you're saying is that David Dunn fights the beast. They go to a mental institution. Some stuff happens in there. They get out. They fight again. And they're both killed. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's totally this super. Was, I'll um, say this plot was a lot. This plot. This plot summary was a lot easier to write than some of the other ones so far. So here's the deal. Um, I just want to come out and say the plot of the film is not its biggest problem and is is gonna be uh, let me rephrase that it is the yeah. film's biggest problem for people who wanted something different than this film yes um, uh specifically the end uh people are mm -hmm. not going to people who are not used to a superhero movie where all your main characters die and that's it and, well again it comes down to and i still stand behind this unbreakable wasn't really a superhero film split certainly wasn't a superhero film this is also not a superhero film if you're thinking about it in terms of genre this is also a drama it, it's closer to superhero film than any of the other two but it is still not a superhero film 
Um, I don't know if I disagree with if I agree with that totally. Because well, in terms in, of like in terms of pacing, in terms of the way things are I shot, I agree with like, you. I agree with you about the Unbreakable. I agree with you there. And Split was clearly a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Glass, you see, drama tends to have emotional stakes, and that's my first question: Who in this oh, film? That's true. Uh, There's other than Bruce. This Willis did not have son. the same emotional stake. Besides the, uh, certainly not compared to Unbreakable. Like, like other than and and, and where's the only emotional stakes in this film? It's from the same kid from Unbreakable. Who in this film mm-hmm. ha- has emotional stakes that you care about? Is there anyone? My first I, I mean, Casey had emotional like they both Casey and Mrs. Price had emotional stakes. I, I loved all three performances. I loved all three characters. I thought they were all three very likable. But none of those three had emotional stakes that you're right. None of those emotional stakes would match what you would normally consider in a drama. Because if you look at it, what are Casey's emotional stakes? In, the, in Split, it was very clear. Am I going to live? Am I going to make it? Am I? What's mm-hmm. going to happen? What's her stakes here? I care about what happens I guess, to Kevin. I Let's care about what, what happens. happens to Kevin, which it's not a live or die situation. It's not. I don't even get the sense that you, you don't even get the sense that she needs to help Kevin in order to find closure. Like yeah. you get the sense that she kind of had closure already. Yeah. It was only Bruce Willis's son who's like, I really want Bruce Willis. Like she doesn't necessarily want Kevin released. You know, like Bruce Willis mm-hmm. is the only one who's like, hey, if I don't get my dad back, my whole life has changed. Yeah. He's the only one only Point. one who's got a, something that they want to get. Bruce Willis doesn't even really seem to want to get out that bad. Neither really does Kevin. Um see Yeah, uh, Mr. You know what? I'll say Mr. Glass, Elijah Price has emotional stakes. They're not really revealed until the end, but he this is a film about his need. I guess, but again, so I'm just going to come out and say it. Let me just put it like right here in Front Street for you. Um, I am uh, I'm underwhelmed by the execution of this film is what it comes mm-hmm. down to for me. Uh, I like the story. I enjoy the characters enough. Um, I it, it was shot well. It passed the time well enough. And James McAvoy mm-hmm. is a pleasure to watch, although I will say not as much of a pleasure as he was last time. Um, everything about this film is inferior to the version of that thing that existed before. There's I would agree with that. In this film not that, that it's, a- I'm not saying that it's, I would agree with that completely. I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just not as good. And that's a problem. That's a real yeah. problem when you have a, that's a problem for where, a, tri- for a trilogy closer. Yeah. Where, and I'm not saying just like you can name anybody anything that is recurring samuel l jackson is not as good bruce willis is certainly not as good james mcavoy is not as good i'm going to come straight out and say i think that anya taylor joy as casey is not good in the film I'll say that about about bruce willis too. i would disagree with that i would i would, I would uh, disagree well i would disagree with you on i thought samuel l jackson was just as good if not better in this one uh i thought anya taylor joy was she was equal to what she did before, although clearly she didn't have as much that she had to, you know, she didn't have to go on nearly as much of a journey. Um, and James McAvoy, I also, uh, I did not think he, what I did not think his performance was in any way inferior to, uh, to what was turned in in Split. I think that the problem you have, right, is that in terms of McAvoy, because the film does rise and fall again on his performance. The thing about mm-hmm. 
McAvoy this time. I don't think that anything he was doing on set was any worse. Like, I think he was just as good on set. But it used to be he was behind the shadows and then he was coming out and was a new character. And then he was behind the shadows and coming out. And then you got to see him out in the real world. And he was, you were scared of him. He was creepy. What was he going to do? He's unpredictable. Well, he's doing it again. And there's not a lot new to what he's doing. There's no revelation. Uh, he, he, no, but there were a lot more identities. Like this is, I, I saw it as, I see what you mean in the sense, like to me, I'd equate it almost to the alien slash aliens dichotomy. Um, the alien in the first film was always in the shadows. There was always one and we got little doses of it. Um, aliens came right out of the gate, guns blazing with a whole bunch of any of aliens. We saw more of them in the light. Um, there was more, uh, James McAvoy, even though in the first film, they say that he's got 23 split personalities. We only really see three of them intensely and then we even only get glimpses of a couple others in this one we go through at least a dozen and the thing that i loved so much about split at the end that scene where he's shifting you know within one camera shot shifting between character and character which was a phenomenal climax to the first movie he does that a lot more in this second film uh so i guess to me i just sort of look at it as you know uh kevin's identities are kind of like the alien in that well, we see and, more of them in the second film, which is technically see, what you and want I would I would say this is this is more like Alien Resurrection, where there are yeah there are lots of them, but they're just not shot that well. Um, and I <laughs> think the problem too. is is right like like the the script is not giving him anything different to offer us. So I will I will say this of James McAvoy: there is nothing that I think he could have done better, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. But yeah, that being was, said, when we met he the was beast last the time, when we met the beast last time, the beast was a force of nature. Was, you know, he was, he was, he was, you know, he was, he was visceral and nearly demonic. And this time he is let out to fight and then he goes back away. He's let out to fight again. He goes back away. And sometimes he even stands in a room and plots with Samuel L. Jackson. And that's not the beast mm -hmm. I remember. You know, that's like it's it's the beast is now a a, a flunky, and it 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 doesn't work as well. Um, I'm not as scared of him, and nobody seems as no one is as interesting. Probably because I'm not discovering anyone, and that's a problem for sequels. That is a real problem for sequels. Mm -hmm. Is that part of the fun of a movie is you get to discover your characters, but if there's no characters yeah. to discover. You know, and it's great that he's doing 23 characters, but I'm not, you know, I still am only interested in Dennis, Patricia, Barry, Kevin, and the Beast. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just not, it's, it, it and it's all shot in, in light, you know, there's no, no one is scared of him. He's just a curiosity in the film. And I think because he's only a curiosity within the film, he's only a curiosity to me as an audience goer. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get that. You know, in um, essence, what this film kind of feels like is... You know how if you have like a long running TV show and it finishes with a great finale, uh, you know, and it finishes and then a couple years later, they're just like, hey, let's let's do a reunion episode where it's just sort of, hey, let, let's check in and see, you know, how the characters are doing and everything. And they can um, and those episodes can always be, you know, they can be good or bad. But even when they're good, they're not necessarily things that carry the same weight as uh, it, it's like the Hobbit after Lord of the Rings. Um, 
you know, that was never going to carry the same emotional weight as Lord of the Rings was, even if it had been betterly made. Um, but, you know, I didn't mind because it was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go spend some more time in Middle Earth. And I always enjoy that. Uh, and honestly, that's kind of what this film felt uh, this film felt like was it was like, oh, I'm curious to see where this goes. Let's drop in on these characters and see what's going on, which is fine, except not for a trilogy ender or a sequel. Yeah. Um, and not a modern sequel. I mean, I think that's yeah. what it comes down to is that it's, you know, that's part of the reasons maybe not living up to expectations is that mm-hmm. that just doesn't do it anymore. Like it's now has to be that the sequel raises the stakes and that can be raising the stakes emotionally. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue that Logan was a bigger film than the Wolverine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to just raise yeah. the physical stakes, but the emotional stakes have to be raised. And I don't think that's the, the, mm-hmm. the truth here. Um, yeah. Just to, I will say in its defense, us. this, sorry, Go I will ahead. say just real quick in its defense, this film, this film never really, even in the trailers to a certain extent, did not make any promises about what film it was going to be. The fact that this, I mean, technically this film didn't even promise that it was going to be a modern sequel. You have a film that came out 15 years ago and then 14 years later, another film comes out that's kind of tangentially related to it. And then a third movie comes out after that. That's, I mean, we're in new territory here. So to a certain well, extent, I, I don't feel like Shyamalan really owed us anything in that. Well, I, I will disagree with you in this much. I feel like the film promised to once again say what would happen if these things existed in the real world. That was always the question. And Split, if a monsters existed in the real world, and Unbreakable, if superheroes existed in the real world, this movie advertised itself as what our real world... This is not a comic book. Mm, this is the real fair. world. You know... And I think what I'm going to postulate by the end of this podcast is that this is nothing to do with the real world. Um, mm-hmm. it, it says that that's what it's doing, but that's not what it's doing at all. Yeah, it actually um, it's, it is more it's ironically more isolated in its uh, in its settings than even Split was. Yeah, um, let's finish up Split real quick. Anna Taylor-Joy is Casey. Um, you know, <sighs> How do I put this? I always got to be real careful when I'm talking about the way that people look and especially the way that women look. I need to, you know, check expectations at the door and make sure that I'm I'm being a good guy about this. Casey, I believed as a high schooler in Split. I don't believe her as a high schooler in this movie. She looks 26. Um, and she doesn't maybe because the script isn't giving her any reason to be particularly motivated in what she does, but she last time her aloofness seemed to be seemed to be motivated but this time she was still playing some of the same aloofness and that detached thing that she was doing but it didn't seem to be motivated this time around like it wasn't matching the I words that as she a, was saying I see that I took it as a detached confidence um you know what probably might have helped with you is the fact that this took three this took place three weeks after split was weird to me had it taken place two years after split um because when we first see casey in school um she is holding herself with a more confident bearing yes she's aloof and detached but it is dressed like a 45 year old woman which is interesting well hey let me finish um it's she's got that aloof detachment that comes not with, oh, I'm scared of people, but more just like, no, I own myself and I'm kind of an introvert. Um, 
her closure came with her, you know, putting her abusive uncle away. Um, I feel like that is a way too fast of a character growth transition for three weeks time. Now, had this been two years later, then of course she's going to look older, both physically and also she, yeah, she holds herself in a way that she's older because she's, you know, her, her character, her personality has reached a new plateau. Um, I have the perspective of this last week. I showed my older son uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And that should be, you got two choices, right? You have that she's broken because of what happened before and she needs to find closure about the incredible trauma that she just had. Mm-hmm. Or Sarah Connor we're you talking can go, about. Or you can go the way that she is become incredibly strong amazingly strong and she needs to find her sensitive side again those are like the two ways you can go after the events of of split having her be moderately more confident and be in the same confident place at the end of the movie that she is at the beginning of the movie like I didn't see a break. I like if she had broken, if she had been like being with him was a breaking moment for her that just like that one crushed her and two gave the the actress an opportunity to crush it. Um, I would have been more into it as it is. It was like she's like, I'm confidently seeing you now, Kevin, after what you did. And I'm on your side, despite the fact that you ate my friends. Like. <laughs> It just it it I don't I well, didn't it, it see... sounds to me like it sounds to me like your issues here are again not so much with uh, Anya Taylor Joy but more with the script that she was given. I think that there are nuanced things that she could have done in the performance that I was not seeing. I just saw strong. I, I saw strong and I saw no vulnerability in her. And having an invulnerable character is not that fun to watch. Um, and we'll get there because we have an invulnerable character in this film who's not that mm-hmm. fun to watch. Um, yeah, so, he just I kind mean, of it's... is there in many ways. It actually, yeah, I will say, uh, moving on to David Dunn, then the it in retrospect, watching this film made me realize, oh, yeah, David actually wasn't that big of a motivating force in the first one either. It makes me it makes like when we reviewed Unbreakable, we asked the question of, OK, who's the protagonist of this film? Um, watching this film makes me want to go back to Unbreakable and definitively say, oh, Elijah Price was the protagonist of that film. So I am trying to put my meta knowledge away when I watch this film. It's hard because I'm a giant Kevin Smith fan, which should surprise nobody. And Kevin Smith has been very, very public about the way that Bruce Willis acted on the set of Cop Out and the way that Bruce Willis acted on the set of Die Hard 4. And the conversations he's had with the way Bruce Willis acts on set, which is essentially, according to Kevin Smith, I don't know Bruce Willis. I was not there. But Kevin Smith has said that Bruce Willis comes in. He X's out the scenes that he doesn't think the script needs, throws them to the side, comes out, says his lines, gives you two takes, gives you does not take notes and goes back to his trailer. That is the way Kevin Smith described it. He said it was a soul, in his words, a soul-crushing experience to work with Bruce Willis, especially since he was such a big Bruce Willis fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's exactly what he's doing in this film, but there is a difference between the Bruce Willis I see in this film 
And then the flashbacks they have to young Bruce Willis. Young Bruce Willis is bringing a lot of, of interiority to his performance. Even in the mm-hmm. flashbacks that you see. This Bruce Willis is just seems like he feels like I can seem stoic and read lines and that's going to be fine. I would be in complete agreement with you on that. To the point, and this is where I don't want to bring my own meta knowledge in. Do you notice how many shots there were of the back of Bruce Willis's head when you hear, heard him talk? Uh, I did not. There, there were a ton. There were tons of scenes where it's like, we're cutting to this actor, we're cutting this actor. And then when Bruce Willis moves, it's the back of his head. Now, I'm not saying that wasn't Bruce Willis. I don't know if that was Bruce Willis. Maybe it was Bruce Willis. But I am saying that they were cutting to everybody else's face, but his. Maybe it was his, but they were just like, we'll just show him from this angle artistically. Maybe that's what was happening. But even in the interrogation scene in the middle, it seems like they just cut to Bruce Willis like four times. Mm-hmm. So that supports if somebody had a theory, which I'm not saying I have, but if somebody had a theory that Bruce Willis just showed up, you, you are hedging your bets so much right now. <laughs> like if if somebody had a theory that Bruce Willis just showed up to do his close ups and then he mm-hmm. thought a standing can do the rest or he just did a couple of takes and they just cut to him when they absolutely needed to mm-hmm. his the amount of Bruce Willis that's in this movie would support that theory if someone had that theory. Not saying so I do. So what you're saying is you're, you're what you're saying is you're not saying that it is a plausible theory that you would have that Bruce Willis just you know only showed up for half the stuff and they used to stand and stand in for the other half. You're just saying that if someone who is not you had that theory, you would consider it plausible. I would just say that the, I would say that the film itself does not. <laughs> Um, does not make that theory unlikely. Um, yeah. But I'm not saying that's possible. Anyway, my point being <laughs> that there, I did not detect, and I, I don't want to say ever, there are one or two scenes where where he gives it, where I see a little bit of of intensity from him that I, that I appreciate. Um, but mostly, I'm just bored. I'm, I'm, I like him because I'm carrying over my affection for him from Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. But if this were the first yeah, time you I like, you, David you like David. Yeah. I like David, but I'm liking him less and less throughout this film. He's just a blank slate mm-hmm. and I just don't care. That's a problem. That's a real problem. I don't care. I don't well, see. Well, I think you part know, of it is bra- also that that is one where after 15 years, we really should have seen more character growth, especially since the whole like David's big revelation at the end of Unbreakable is not just, oh, I have superpowers, but I don't feel devoid of purpose anymore. I don't wake up in the morning feeling sad anymore. He specifically says that. Um, and then 15 years later, he still seems to be in that same headspace. Um, there's no noticeable change in his demeanor from where he was 15 years ago. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely correct. Um, I want to give uh, his his son, um, who is played by Spencer Treat Clark. He's great in this film. He is mm-hmm. great. He's legitimately great in this film. I want to see that guy do more stuff. Yeah, absolutely. He he is bringing it to the very and he doesn't do that much in this film. But the, what he does is great. When he needs he to brings. be funny, he's yeah. funny. When he needs, he there's no scene where. So when I say, when you say to me that the script is that the script is not giving him that much more to do than anyone else, but he 
feels that it's necessary for him to bring it. Whereas I would say that maybe Bruce Willis doesn't, and maybe Anya Taylor-Joy was just maybe not able to this time around. Maybe she's, I'm sure she's a fine actress. Um, But this time around, she didn't bring that little bit of extra. Where I feel like Spencer Tree Clark, every moment that he's on screen, I see what's in his mind and in his heart. And Mm -hmm. and he can't, like that's true. He carried his... His interpretation of Joe still in every scene, one of the things that made Joe so great and unbreakable was in every scene, you saw the desperation to believe and support his father. And that was still 100% present in every scene in this one too. Well, and let's talk about that flashback scene specifically, because in that flashback scene, you know, I just said that Bruce Willis, you can tell how much you know better he used to be. Do you when get a sense cut, that that scene was just sort of like it's a scene that they didn't use in Unbreakable, yeah, so they yeah that's you know, what were it able is. It's actually on the one. Unbreakable. It's on, it's in the special feature. This is a deleted scene. Um, mm-hmm. So with Spencer Treat Clark, one I realized, boy, he was really little by comparison. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, but two, I thought he was better in this film. Like I thought when I saw him in that scene, I was like, oh, he's such a good child actress, but or actor. But in this scene, I was like, wow, he's he's actually probably a little bit better now. So, mm-hmm. which one would hope? Yeah, Sam Jackson. You like him better, worse, the same? You think he's just doing the same thing? Think he's just bringing? Um, I he's bringing the Sam. I think he was given. I mean, he's not able to really become himself until he's free from the sedation. Um, I, you know, and what he is given is slightly different than what he had. Like w- in the in Unbreakable, we saw Elijah Price, his secret identity. Um, or his cover identity. In this film, we saw Mr. Glass. And uh, and I liked, you know, I wish they could have spent a little bit more time exploring that. Um, yeah, there was nothing about his film, about his performance that, I mean, it was not the same kind of thing that, you know, it didn't blow me away to the degree that James McAvoy didn't split. But at the same time, I found it compelling, enjoyable, uh, and in no way lackluster. Yeah, I mean, he's he's bringing Sam Jackson to it. Which is great. You know, the... I do think there was one too many close-ups on his eye twitching and his mouth twitching. Like, mm-hmm. M. Knight clearly thought that that was a great choice. It's a fine choice. Yeah. There was a lot of it. There was maybe too much of it. <laughs> well, he's not... I mean, that's um, the thing. And that's... Real, to me, that's more of a directing thing. Because you... I mean, if you're if somebody's playing catatonic, it is it is very hard to parse what is good catatonic acting and what is bad catatonic acting. That comes down to how you're being shot so much. Yeah. And and that's I mean, that's the case. You know, whenever we're talking about a performance, we're talking about a performance that is crafted both by the actor, the director and the editor. So someone thought that that was a good idea, whether that was Sam Jackson, just that's all he did all the time or if that's, you Mm -hmm. know, the thing they kept choosing. I don't know, but it bothered me. And, and then at the end, you say we got to see glass. I feel like we got to see Mr. Twitchy guy. We got to see a little bit of glass. Then we got to see guy who states the plot and the themes. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to make statements about what the plot's going to be. And it's mm-hmm. ultimately, I feel like there was, you know, there's nothing in this that is, they called me Mr. Glass. That moment's not I there. Felt, there's nothing, nothing in this that's as cool felt, as the comic book scene. Well, but the one thing that where it really shone to me, because it's something that we didn't get so much of a sense of an unbreakable was in unbreakable. 
we got a sense of, okay, his weaknesses, he's got brittle bones. Um, and his great supervillain atrocity thing was he destroyed three, you know, major, you know, like he killed a lot of people in terms of his search for a superhero. Um, it is implied that he's a mastermind in the first, in, in Unbreakable. But we don't actually really get to see that at play uh, until this film. And I think my favorite moments of glass were watching his and it's which is really my favorite moment watching any mastermind whether it's a villain or a hero is watching them unfold their plots watching them reveal the twists that they set up the uh you know the whole thing of oh you think i'm doing this when in fact i'm doing that uh yeah, like to I, me that's what that's what makes the that's what makes mastermind so charming uh and so intriguing and there was so, a fair amount of that in this uh, I got. I'm sorry. I gotta disagree with you. I don't feel like he masterminds anything. Um, I feel like, like clearly within the plot, he does. But I feel like it was written like, here are all the things that they're doing, and here's how he made all those things happen or not work to his advantage. I never got the sense of like, isn't he clever? That you know, he took the laser out. You know, isn't he clever? Like, he was like, oh, here's a door he's able to open. Let's cut back to the flashback where he set that door to not open. Like, I don't get the sense that, and this is really important. I, we I, mean, I guess master. I'm not sure what you're looking for here. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. At the end of Fight Club, when they reveal, you know, spoiler for Fight Club, go see Fight Club. All right. Is that your only chance you're getting? I'm going to spoil Six Cents in a minute, too. At the end of Fight Club, and they reveal the identity of Tyler Durden, they go back and they show you all the times in the movie that you should have picked up what was going on because he was masterminding it right under your nose. The most famous version of this is The Sixth Sense, where they go, hey, look at everything you should have picked up, which is what makes the second viewing The Sixth Sense so much fun. So... Any good Matt, you know, it's the end of any Ocean's Eleven film. You go back, go back and you go, oh, this is what they were doing the whole time. You thought that you had the upper hand. No, no, you didn't. I see. So what you're saying is to for a good mastermind or a good master plot thing is you should is we should see everything ha like like any good magic trick. We should be seeing it happen like out in the open the first time through, except we don't see it at all. But then the flashbacks go back and reveal it. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that just happened literally in front of my eyes. And I missed it. Yeah. And and if anybody sense. if anybody's going to deliver that to you and this is rote stuff, man, this is oceans. This is every heist movie. This is every, you know, super villain plot. But like it's, it's this is rote stuff. If anybody's supposed to do this particular gag, well, it's supposed to be M. Night Shyamalan. It's like this gag is the thing that he is supposed to be so good at. And I'm not saying I need I a Shyamalan. That I'm not saying I need a Shyamalan level twist when it comes to Mr. Glass orchestrating everything. But damn it, this is the man who should be able to show me the mastermind thing better than anyone. This is the man who is famous for hiding things in plain sight and, and then showing you that they were in plain sight the whole time. That was his thing. So either don't do that thing... Or do that thing really well, but don't do that thing really poorly. That's okay. I, I, all right. I don't think he did it really. All right. So there's two incidents of this here. I don't think he did it poorly. Um, 
This is, there were many I'm aspects about of this the film that I was I'm there was talking about. Yeah, the there was many movie. aspects of this film, including the glass side of stuff that I thought Shyamalan was sort of. I mean, it was not top of his game, but was still solidly in his game. Um, the uh, you know, I will say the thing that he did great, like following that exact uh, that exact criteria that you described, um, Dr. Ellie Staples character, um, because I'm watching her throughout the film and her talking, you know, with delusions and, uh, you know, about the delusions of superhero stuff and with a good mastermind twist, the way that you described it, when you're watching the scene the first time through, even if you're not figuring out exactly what's happened, there should be something at the back of your mind saying there's something a little off here. Like in uh, in Sixth Sense, when there's the anniversary dinner where Bruce Willis sits down with his uh, wife and just talks to her, but she's not responding to him. And then she just puts down the ring and says, happy anniversary. And, you know, and then leaves like there was something like even watching through it. I was like, there's something off here. Uh, in the same way, as I'm watching uh, Dr. Staples character throughout, I'm thinking it is weird that she is absolutely refusing to believe this possibility. Like there's a lot of it almost seemed like the plot needed her to be adamant that there is no absolute possibility um, that there are things like it could have been very easy at any point for David to have proven that he had super strength or for the beast to have revealed some of his abilities had uh, Dr. Paulson allowed or not Dr. Paulson, Dr. Staple allowed for them. Um, so I thought it was kind of weird that she was harping so much on, oh, no, these are delusions, which then made her reveal at the end. I go back and suddenly it explains everything that I had just seen her do. Okay. So, I mean, I, and I hate to be, you know, usually you and I are agreeing on things, but I got to say this. Let's start with, let's start with Sarah Paulson. She does a great job in this. Um, she's interesting. There's nothing she does that isn't interesting. She is, she is absolutely a highlight of this film. She's right up there with McAvoy and what she's doing. I don't know her very well. I only know her as the as the hologram from Serenity. That's all I know her from. Evidently, she has a huge career. She's a huge actress. Oh, yeah. Um, she's done a lot. I don't know her at all. She's just the one telling me what the Reavers are in, in, in Serenity, who then gets eaten by Reavers at the end. That's all I know her as. And she seems very much like that character in this. Um, but that is... She knows that, too. She was interviewed at one point, evidently, and said, yeah, this character reminds me a lot of the character that I had to play in Serenity. So evidently she does comedy. She does horror. She does all sorts of things. So the fact that I'm seeing a mm -hmm. similar thing to the only other thing I know her as is sheerly coincidence. Uh, my understanding, she's very good, but she's very good in this too. Um, you know, she had only one scene in Serenity and she blew it away there. She's great in this. I really think she's great. So that's what I'm going to say about Sarah Paulson. But, but Dr. Dr. Ellie Sadler, right? No, she's not Ellie Sadler. That's Jurassic Staple. Park. What's her name? Dr. Staple. Staple. Um, she is really like, like, what does she do? What is her, what is her plan? I mean, and we'll talk about the, the, the really dumb details in the film in a minute, but what's her plan really to get them there and convince them that they're not superheroes and then kill them. And not, no, Why? that's the whole point is that if you can, if you convince them that they're not superheroes, then you don't have to kill them. That's yeah, the whole are thing she says at the end. Where, no, but if you convince the the whole thing hinges on the concept that 
um, sometimes, and she says it very clearly at the end, sometimes we're able to just convince the people not to be, that they, that they're not superheroes, which is not in this universe, not unheard of when you consider that David Dunn, before Elijah Price came around, never realized that he'd never been sick or hurt in his life. Um, the whole thing she was saying is if that is the humane way, if we can convince them that they're not superheroes and they believe it, then we can just let them be. Um, more drastic measures are needed if we can't do that. Okay. So that would that was I her go, her go, like that's the thing is she is she is a she is working for an organization that is certainly nefarious um but she but they is doing the clearly right a compassionate she they're not only do they think they're doing the right thing but she believes she even believes that the ends do not necessarily justify the means like she is she's compassionately trying to do the right thing and only and only throws away that compassion when it's absolutely necessary. I guess. I mean, I it's I, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that look, I'm, I'm not saying that her character is compelling because I agree it really wasn't. Um, I do feel, though, that in look, there's been a lot of Shyamalan films in the past, like The Happening or something where some part of the twist happens and your thought is immediately what the F like that makes no sense. That is totally th no, like I did. I, not, I, I did not it have it made sense in the end. It's. Yeah, that's the thing is I don't there was I was I was underwhelmed by the reveal of the secret society. I, I didn't I wasn't thrilled by the ending, but there was no moment where I said, oh, that makes no sense. Like the whole th the plot hung together. It worked. It the pieces all fit. It's just that I didn't like the final picture as much as I liked some of Shyamalan's other stuff. Yeah, I would say that I would say that I found that stuff to be interesting um, and I found, you know, the, the whole idea that, that to place it back into the real world is to say, is to say, well, there would be superheroes among us, but they've been stopped up till now. And that's why we're not seeing them. But they really are among us, guys. They really, really are. I feel like that's sort of what is trying to be said. Um, but I still, again, it, maybe because of the stuff I'm about to talk about, I, I'm less convinced of it. Um, but I get it. And I did find that interesting. Um, let, let me ask the big question. We'll go to the little things. I'm going to ask you, are you okay with the all three of them dying at the end thing? Is that emotionally? It, no, I'm, I mean, like, look, it, it what, bothers what do you me. mean by, I'm are you okay with it? it? Well, I mean, is, is, do you, f so I, this is what I was feeling when it was happening. I was like, oh my gosh. And when I walked out of the theater, I was like, I am emotionally affected. It emotionally affected me that they did that. But, is it justified? Is it needed? Or is it just an easy way to hurt your audience and then go on your merry way? Like, I don't, uh, well, you could, I think you could make a, I think you could make a case either way than that. Cause yeah, I was, I was bothered by it and not in one of those, you know, there are certain character deaths sometimes that in the moments, um, like, uh, okay. Firefly and serenity spoilers here. Um, Wash's death, um, tremendously bothered by in the moment, but in, but and looking back on it, I'm still emotionally affected by it. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, that was absolutely a brilliant move for the plot in that moment. Because for the rest of the film, I had this sense that literally anyone could go at any time. You needed that sudden death in order to break the bubble. So looking back on it, I'm like, uh, even though I'm hurt by it, I'm not angry at the director for doing that because there was 
there was a legitimate good that came out of it in terms of my experience of the film. Um, I did not feel like there was a legitimate good that came out of uh, this one. Although I think it could be argued that for the sense of the plot, um, uh, that for the sense of the plot, uh, it need that those three needed to be killed off. And so it was it was the three mundanes who were the ones who, you know, who kept things going. I will say I probably would have been bothered less by it had I actually seen anything of David as a character throughout the whole uh throughout the whole thing. Like I wasn't even that bothered by, I wasn't bothered by Mr. Glass being killed. I wasn't even bothered by, uh, by Kevin being killed. I actually thought well, he had because, a really yeah, Kevin, nice, you felt it. And what a, a wonder, what a performance by the, what way. a touching, what a, what a wonderful performance yeah. between the two of them in that moment, David, it was sort of just like, Oh man, you've given him nothing throughout the whole movie. And now you're drowning him in a puddle. That's just kind of like, I felt the character was kind of done a disservice there, not just because he was killed, but because he didn't really have an opportunity to to really be anything up until that yeah, moment. And it's it's ultimately it makes me it, it bums me out for Unbreakable, right? There's an Alien 3 yeah. uh, feeling mm-hmm. to this film. It, there is an, there's like a definitive Alien 3 effect with this. Yeah, there's there's like it's a big downer and everything that happened to the second film doesn't really matter because they're all dead anyway. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so well, let's, uh, let's touch on some of the, let's touch on some of the little things you wanted to talk to. And then I want to, before we get into our ratings, I want to ask some questions to you about theme, but, uh, I know you said that you had a couple details you wanted to bring okay. up. So this is what I've said. Uh, people have said, what do you think of the movie? And this is honestly what I think of the movie that it's, I'm complaining a lot about stuff. I really am complaining a lot because you mm-hmm. seem to have liked it better than I would. I would say it's a, it's the movie would be a solid B for me. I, and I'm not just jumping to the end. It, Except that it makes some bad decisions. We've talked some of the big bad decisions, but you mm-hmm. know, yeah, little bad decisions matter too. Mm-hmm. There is a scene that is supposed to really affect us or bother us or something. Where Kevin, I, think I know the one, is oh no, different. Introduced to his new guard because somebody left his syringe with a needle in it in the room with him, and the guard, <laughs> and the guard is is scared about rightly so that this guy has a needle which which let's be clear i don't think you need to I'm be sensing, in the I, i'm field. sensing the register I, I i have a feeling i'm about to get a good dose of uh registered well, so here's the thing you don't here. need to be in the medical field to know crazy guy is not going to be given a needle. does not get needle yeah it's like you're not going to give you're going to give the beast a needle really <laughs> That's here, also here and that go. is also right along the lines of of oh how did Mr. Glass get out the first time you must have left the door ajar like yeah, it's, it's, no one leaves exactly. a door ajar so so then so then guy gets the needle the sharp object that was given to the guy who just ate a bunch of girls and then he starts playing with the light for no reason just starts yeah, playing with the yeah. light yeah no I'm, here, I'm there with I'm you turn it on I'm gonna turn it off I'm gonna turn it on. I'm turning it off. Leave. Leave the room. Walk mm-hmm. out of the room. Yeah, it's it's and, made clear and, like and also, that, those lights those lights have a remote controller on them somewhere. And if they, they don't somebody then else they outside really, controlling really should them. have. And there's a sensor. And there's a sensor. What are you what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? And hey, by the way, Kevin, who's got super geniuses inside of you, close your eyes. Close your eyes. How about this? <laughs> this? You can close your eyes. All you gotta do is close them. Because you're out, you'll be fine. I mean, in, all right, that one you could make a theory that, the, although again, a uh, you know, a line probably would have helped this. You could have said, you know, the light can be bright enough that it goes through your eyelids, but 
It would have to yeah, be super bright for that. And you, need a, and, and you need a line that, you know, that says that. Yeah, but you know, but but here's the thing. I'm thinking, oh, you can just close your eyes because guess what? All it takes is this guy standing around some of the lights that the lights don't work anymore. What? Mm-hmm. It, so there's this whole scene that's supposed to unnerve you. The whole scene's supposed to, it's supposed to be scary. And I'm like, why does he have a needle? What's going on? Okay, you know what? You're right. That why is, is probably, that is there? the one, that is the one what the F scene for me. Yeah. What's going on? Why? Why? And there's a bunch of it. Like There's a bunch of it. Oh, David Dunn. Water hurts him. Oh, he can't even stand when he's by water. Water's going to kill him at the end of the movie unless he's in a vat of water and needs to get out in which he can break the whole vat with his shoulder. Because of course he can. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, that, that's like when, when the fact that water kills him is the main point of the end of the film. Why have him do that? You just have the beast do that. The beast can accidentally break them out. But no, it's David who breaks them out of the of the water vat. Oh, look here. And you said this in your plot, plot uh, synopsis. Look, everybody happens to be arriving at the same time. Everyone's just arriving. Well, that one, that's hey to me, that does. There, there's a different like there's a difference between saying, oh, that's coincidental, you know, because clearly it needs to fulfill the needs of the plot. And that defies all common sense why anybody would do this. You can make a case for. Okay, it is really lucky that everyone just sort of happened at the same time. But you're not like asking, but it's not like you're staring at the screen going, why did you all show up at the same moment? That's why why would any of you make that decision? Which is exactly what you you were saying when you're like, you you show the freaking doctor, you show freaking Sarah Paulson, see them arrive and say, right on time. That's all you need to say. Boom. Problem solved. Oh, she arranged Mm. for them to get there on time. But don't make me come up with that because you had a lot of people that, that M. Night Shyamalan paid some money to and I'm a screenwriter. So if I have to come up with it, send me some money, Knight. Send me some money. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's I, just... I do want to, before we talk about the other broken things, I do want to give a shout out to one, to the moment that I did really enjoy, a to a twist uh, that was, you know, that really did harken back to some of his original uh, good moments. The, the reveal that Kevin's father was on the train. I really dug that one. I like the way it was set up with, you know, Joe. Like to me, a good twist is one where it well, is set up that. that I already figured that well, out. But there's a, well, that's the thing. It's like, so like to me, a good twist should like, it should ask that there should be a clear question asked earlier on, um, which and, and the question in this was, what was the big deal about Kevin's father that made both Joe and Mr. Glasgow? Oh, my God, when they found out about it. And, you know, and when done right. Uh, yeah, there should be the chance for somebody to figure it out. Um, but I figured, I figured that out split that. Well, but, I figured that out but split. Um, well, OK, but well, I didn't. Uh, and. That's and it's I sort did. of the, but you know, but well, I figured out, but I figured out that I figured out that he was dead 20 minutes into sixth sense. So, um, but that to me doesn't negate the masterful way that that whole thing was set up when you're doing a good twist reveal. Some people are going to figure it out ahead of time. Other people aren't. There is literally no way to create a satisfying reveal that, no, you know, there's literally no way to set up a satisfying mystery that nobody is, uh, able to to come up with ahead of time um for me i can just say from my experience of watching this film there was a great the question was asked what was the big deal with kevin's father and the reveal for it was a great moment of 
oh, hell, that totally makes sense. And this is about to change everything. Like, it was a tremendously exciting moment for me watching the film. Um, I, it, was, it wasn't bad. I don't want to say that it's bad. But it's, you know, I, I, will, I will see your good job with Kevin's father. And I will raise you terrible job with Casey's uncle. Again, we mentioned it before. It's only three weeks later. He's put away. He's put away. Like, yeah, they, I, this whole the thing would have been better if it was a year slowly, later. My friend, the wheels of justice turn slowly. She has scars on her and she's accusing this man of co- causing these scars on her. I assume that's what happened. I assume she got examined after the incident with Kevin and she showed them scars and maybe he was seen, but that would not be enough to get him put away. I'm not done with that. Like, it, eh. I, and there are I, things like I that. just have to say, I love how when we were having a brief conversation with this film, like before we started, uh, before we started recording, uh, you were, um, and this has happened a couple times and I love it. Like you can be kind of lukewarm about a film and over the course of these discussions, keep talking yourself into disliking it more and more for finding more no, reasons to do it. Here's the weird thing. I like this movie fine. I might see it again. I might like my anniversary is <laughs> coming up and we always go out to a movie and my wife might want to see it. And if she does, if there's nothing else out, yeah, I might go see this again. It was in its moment to moment, it passes the time just fine. And as a story, it's a yarn. It passes the time just fine. But it's like an inferior. It's it's like an inferior issue of the X Men. Like it's it's fine, but you know. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, Arthur. That that we talked about how it's supposed to be in the real world. Here's my biggest problem. Of all the stupid things, she's seventeen. Why are we bringing a seventeen-year-old to see Kevin Arthur? Why is a 17-year-old being allowed into the back of a mental institution? Sorry, I'm getting so mad I'm throwing things. The, the, into the back of a mental institution to see her attacker without any consent given, given by a guardian. The man who literally murdered people two days ago. Why is she oh, allowed that's to one. do I can, this? I can, exp- I can headcanon I, I head that one for you pretty simply. Why? Because Sarah Paulson is doc- part of Secret Society? Yeah, if Dr. Staple were a normal doctor, there's no way in hell that would have happened. But as soon as she deduced that, oh, you know, this girl might be the one who could, you know, make uh, Kevin vulnerable, then, yeah, she could pull strings that way. You're also a writer, right? I mean, you it's, have been it's pa- like it's you're a paid writer. Well, it's Arthur. stretching, but it is far from the like the, the level of I'm not saying that it makes perfect sense. The level no, 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 of no, no, no. what the F that you're aspire that you're assigning to it is not the level that I would. no. <laughs> No, here's the deal. You're a paid writer. I've I've been paid for things that I've written. Here's the deal, us writers. If you want to do that, someone needs to have a problem with the fact that she's going out, going in there, and Doctor Doctor Paulson, whatever her name is, has to has to override that, and you have to go. What the hell? Why is she overriding that? But nobody that is an opportunity. No, I'll, I'll agree that now that that is um, see, I would categorize that more as a spectacular opportunity missed than as a colossal failure. But I well, agree here's with the problem though. in that sense. Here's the problem. We can headcanon it at the end of the film after we see that Sarah Paulson is part of a secret organization. When we're walking to the car, we can go, OK, well, that explains why she did this. But here's the deal. You can't headcanon it while it's happening. And that's well, the that's problem. that. That's literally just what we were talking about. The whole 
but it is an example of what we were just describing, what I was just describing about the whole, you're watching it as it's happening and you're going, ah, there's something off here. Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm not thinking there's something off about, about Sarah Paulson. I'm just thinking the movie's dumb. What is happening? Well, and what, so when she's how do we, Kevin, how do we know having she's, the emotional like, moment. I, I, well, okay, I also didn't think that she was seventeen. I thought, like, or I didn't necessarily know that she was definitively seventeen. She could have been eighteen. Well, but she's a high schooler at least. Like, let's see, like the, the oh yeah, but the, but, thinking, the, oh, but oh, come on, the con, the convention of high schoolers having the 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 convention of high schoolers in films all conveniently being the age of majority when it is narratively convenient is far from a like Shyamalan is far from alone in using that particular trope. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's what I said at the beginning. We're in the real world now. That's the whole thing, man. That that's what I was sold. This is the real world. You know what? This mental mental institution doesn't even work like other mental institutions I've seen in movies. And and it's 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 so it's pulp. It's gone so far into pulp that this is no longer there's no real worldness about this. And I was so taken out Here's, by the fact that when she was in that scene, and maybe it's because maybe it's because I'm in the medical field, or maybe it's because I'm the parent of an upcoming teenager. But all I'm thinking to myself is, why are you letting this child in with this guy right now? Why are you doing that? That's dumb. And I'm putting that right next to why is this guy flipping the lights on and on and off? And why is Kevin left with a syringe and why are all the people arriving all at the same time and why like like this is happening and I'm thinking that's dumb that's dumb that's dumb and a lot of this is easily fixed by cutting to Sarah Paulson as she thinks the grand she's the grand mastermind so just a shot of her looking ominous when 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 Casey goes back would maybe have made it solve it, but I'm not thinking. Oh, there's something off. Well, with but if this you doctor. show her being, if you show her being ominous ahead of time, like the whole reveal that she is a bad character needs to come completely out of left field. And if you show her looking ominous, then that then that ruins that effect. I mean, but um, now that being said, if you had look, you could absolutely have a moment of somebody saying, "Um, are are you sure that she's okay to be back there?" and uh, and Sarah Paulson saying. You know, yes, I will take full responsibility. I believe she's completely safe. I think this is absolutely necessary for the treatment of this individual, um, which makes you go, uh, that seems like bad judgment on the doctor's part, but it does at least get you a little bit closer to the moment of suspension of disbelief. I, and if it was the only thing, I would almost forgive it. Like there's something called there's something called a mulligan, right? In, in writing. And a mulligan is like the one screw up you got to get. The MacGuffin's the one thing you got to give the film in order for the film to work. That would be that there are superheroes. And the mulligan is the one thing you give the film where it's like, okay, it doesn't really make sense, but let's just go with it. You can't have too many uh, Actually, I, I just need to... Just the, the tropist in me is like, that's actually not quite what a MacGuffin is. A MacGuffin, sometimes, the MacGuffin is something that a bunch of the characters want. In fact, a, a true MacGuffin, what it actually is, doesn't even matter. It just exists for the characters to want it. Sure. So um, maybe I miss... But, so maybe I'm putting Mulligan yeah, in, in MacGuffin. I've always mixed them up. But here's the deal, right? It's too many. It's too many. And it doesn't seem like part of the twist. Like if they wanted to show... Show like when they're revealing that she's bad. Show, go ahead, go on in. Show all the things that you had a problem with, and you see that she did all those things that you had a problem with. And you're like, oh, I had a problem with those things, but in fact, she did those things. They don't do that. She just does stupid. The movie just does stupid things, and we can try and headcanon that she was responsible for them. Um, but because well, it seems I like, don't and that's know- a that's a thing that we've been touching on a lot is the you know in a lot of films that we've talked about is moments where 
you know, and this is absolutely a case of where we have said one line or one scene would have fixed this. Yeah. And that's and that's why I'm. I, there's a lot of this that I like, and a lot of the, that I like is James McAvoy, and I like Sarah Paulson's performance, and it's fun to see the little machinations and stuff, but ultimately, it's for these reasons that, that you know, it's, and this is key, Arthur, this is key for me. The scene that I didn't make sense with the, with the needle is supposed to be an emotionally harrowing scene, and the scene where she's there with Kevin is supposed to be an emotionally harrowing scene, and the scene where they all arrive at the end is supposed to be an emotional harrowing scene. And if I'm in the middle of that scene thinking, what? Then I am not emotionally engaged with what's going on. And those are supposed to be some of the key, like, gotcha moments that the movie has. And it doesn't get me, it loses me. So that mm-hmm. is... So that, I think, so is, what we're saying here, here is, it's, so if we were craft, if we were remaking this film or recrafting it, then possibly the better way to do it is so you introduce this thing like the, hey, there's a 17-year-old going to see this dangerous mental patient, um, which immediately makes the viewer's mind go, wait a minute, what's going on with that? Like, you're like, wait a minute, what the F? Um, and if the viewer's mind is in a what the F moment, then they cannot emotionally connect to what you emotionally want to deliver with that scene because they're still in a state of confusion or it basically they are not suspending disbelief at that moment. Um, I so think, the I think that the art so I the art could, there is the art there is about then finding okay what is the way because it's because making the viewer go what the f in a moment is not necessarily a bad thing if you are then able to transition them into saying okay I guess that makes sense but that's a little weird because then what you've done there is you've taken something that was perceived as a negative in the moment but suddenly when you reveal oh this is why you thought it was weird because it was actually this then it actually has been converted into a positive but it, yeah. but or, that only works if you that only works if you take them from what the f to that's a little off and and give them space to get over the what the f before you do the emotional scene and i think that's the other thing mm-hmm. there are two ways you yeah. solve you solve the what the f you solve the what the f by at the end of the movie revealing that that sarah paulson's character was always orchestrating that or you mm-hmm. re- you you solve that by when she's doing it you go she is up to something what is she doing and then you ask it so that when they answer it at the end you're like ah that's what she was doing okay mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this neither, is a, yeah, yeah, I will say this is one of the reasons I actually really enjoy talking about Shyamalan's films, because here's the thing as a scriptwriter, man, he swings for the fences every single time. And sometimes he strikes out hard, but from a writing perspective, like to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of writing besides developing character and everything, it is actually crafting that plot and timing and, you know, how you're leading the audience along in terms of keeping them in the dark, when to make reveals, when to bring them into emotional moments. And both Shyamalan's successes and his failures provide really fertile ground for conversation as to good writing and what that is. And what it's not. Um, so, I mean, I, ultimately, I, I want to be clear. I, I'm, I'm de- seeming like I'm damning this movie and I'm not. I'm not. We're talking about a few moments. We're talking about a few failed moments. I would say the film breezes along fairly well. Um, but I mean, I guess I if if you've got you, you said you have one thing you want to talk about and then we can we can get to our final thoughts. 
Mm-hmm. So you- I just want to some um, something that uh, did come up for me as I was uh, looking at it was the theme of this film by the end does seem to go along with a theme that I've been seeing in a number of other films and TV shows recently. It kind of goes into that whole hope punk thing I was talking about a couple episodes ago. Um, this is a film where ultimately you have a character who is saying people need to know what they can do. And you have a big secret organization saying, no, they don't. It's it's the constant. It's the classic battle of we could be more than we are if we only believed. And, you know, and other people essentially saying, no, no, this is what humans could be because this is safe. Um, It is. And that is a I'm not even saying that this film did a good job with that particular theme. Um, You know, in many ways, this theme kind of it was similar to the end of Buffy where all the slayers were activated. And we had that really cool montage of, um, you know, all of these, you know, girls from around the world suddenly discovering their strength. Um, I'm not saying that a montage like that would have worked in this film. In fact, it probably wouldn't have. But uh, but I think it's worth noting that this film is tapping into something I've been seeing more and more of recently about encouraging people not necessarily to believe that they're real superheroes, but from a metaphorical sense of everybody, um, it's encouraging everybody to to start, you know, it's self-actualization, the realization of I could be more than I am. Uh, and that at least, and so that's just something I wanted to touch on. That's a, it's a cool theme. I've been seeing it more and more. We're probably going to see a lot more of it, uh, especially in today's day and age. Uh, but it's something to keep an eye out for. I do enjoy that as a theme. I think that that's um, the fact that they're codifying it here in in such clear ways. Um, I think Marvel has that theme. I mean, I think that Ant Man specifically is very much that. Um, the the yeah you know it's the he's the one character in Marvel. You know, Spider Man already has his powers, and Tony Stark and Doctor Strange are awesome already. But Ant-Man's just kind of like, he's a loser, but he can be more, both personally and as a hero if he tries. This takes it even a step further mm-hmm. and go, hey, if you want to believe you're a superhero, you can be a superhero. Um, it's an mm-hmm. interesting it's an interesting thought. Uh, I, I like it as a theme. I don't know if it's the theme of this movie or just a theme from uh, from Unbreakable Carrying Over, but I, I would say there there is intentionality for bringing that theme forward, so I will applaud Shyamalan for mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. So, on a scale of one to five personalities, uh, what do you rate Glass? Uh, I would... So, again, going back to how we sort of rate things, to me... A three is a film that I walk out of thinking that was that was perfectly enjoyable and I'm probably not going to think of it again. Uh, you know, a three is a film that is there were some major problems to it. Uh, there were some opportunities missed, but I didn't in the moment. I was not actively not enjoying myself at any point through the viewing of it. Um, and that is my baseline for what this film is. I'm going to bump it to a 3.5 just again based on you in most three star films, you do not get the level of acting caliber that you got out of this film, uh, which is why just purely on the strength of its actors um, with, you know, the sort of 
stoic uh, performance of Bruce Willis aside, uh, I would bump this one to, I'll say, 3.5. Um, so when I went into this review, I wanted to give Glass a 3.5. Um, this review has changed my mind. <laughs> talking about what? it has... has I, I can't about imagine it, why talking about all the flaws of it over the past hour and a half could possibly have put you in a different frame of reference. Well, Not that that's a bad thing, mind. I just, I just think it's funny. Here's the thing. Uh, in terms of rating, I'm going to pull it all the way down to a 2.5. Um, I'm going to pull Ooh. it down to a three for its leaps of logic um, and things that are just, I'm sorry, I cannot explain away. And I'm going to pull it down to mm -hmm. a 2.5 for Bruce Willis alone. Bruce oh. Willis. Um, James McAvoy is certainly entertaining, but this is the sequel to Unbreakable. And I don't care about David Dunn. And that yeah, is that's just, major. You know, it's a word that I use, but it's unforgivable. Um, I was going to say, what are you guys? <laughs> I was literally just a few moments ago saying, I bet he's going to use the word unforgivable in this review. It's just, you can't get like, like it's part of the reason I wanted, I, would I have seen Split 2 in theaters? Maybe. I enjoyed Split. I enjoyed Happy Death mm -hmm. Day. It was a great film. Uh, I liked that's a, it a that's lot. A, yeah. When Happy Death Day 2 comes out and it's about to, I might go see it in theaters if there's nothing else going on. I will on. say, I have not seen Happy Death Day 1, but seeing the trailer of Happy Death Day 2, which I did right before Glass, made me really keen on, like, the way that they're handling that sequel absolutely makes me think I would totally go see that. Sorry, that is apropos of nothing. Please continue. Yeah. So here's the thing. I would maybe have gone and seen this if it was just a sequel to Split. But I went to go see this, and I was excited about this. The reason I watch trailers over and over again is because this was the, the trilogy. I got Unbreakable back. I've been waiting forever. Here it is. You guys finally get to see this. And, and not only that, but it, it's with Split. It's Unbreakable too, but Split's in there too. Yay! Um, instead, I rather... I wish this movie didn't happen to Unbreakable. I did not want David Dunn to die. I did not want Mr. Glass yeah. to die. I did not you know, want David Dunn point. to be boring. I didn't want to be boring. I wanted to like if he died heroically or died with meaning, but he's the Tasha Yar of of Unbreakable now. Like Unbreakable happens, yeah, and then true. and then he's in a, in an asylum, unable to emote, and then he's drowned. Why do I want to see that happen to the end of Unbreakable? The Unbreakable gave me that promise. Like you're right. They call the, me Mister. Our Glass. expectation. Our expectation for this film was not, oh, great, we're going to see a continuation of Split. It was, we're going to see a continuation of Unbreakable. And also Split's there, too. Woohoo! And instead, I got some more Split. And I got the most unsatisfying end to Unbreakable I could have possibly gotten. Um, mm -hmm. I am, I'm not enthused. Uh and it's not the real world. It's not superheroes in the real world. We didn't even talk about the ridiculous building that had nothing. Like, if you're going to say, oh, these are superheroes in the real world, why are we also getting a massive building that doesn't exist? Like, if you're going to set it in the real world, yeah. put it in the okay. real world. But it's not. Yeah, the real all right. World. We, won't, we won't get into that this way. At some point, we are going to have a. Like, all right, I'll just say C.S. Lewis once said real well, He uh, somebody was. Um, accusing him of corrupting children because he was telling fantasy stories, which he said, you know, children are, you know, we, we can't be telling our children lies. They, they shouldn't be believing that, you know, fairies and dragons are real. Um, and C.S. Lewis's, 
and this is a vast paraphrasing, but his general response was, look, children know that dragons aren't real. We are not lying to them by telling them a story in which, you know, a knight fights a dragon. You know how we're lying to them is when we tell them a story about, you know, in the real world of like, say, somebody goes to high school and has trouble fitting in, but then actually ends up becoming popular and getting friends when they just learn to be themselves. Like, to me, that is a lie. That is not the real world, but plenty of films set in quote unquote the real world um, espouse that. So I think the definition of the real world in film is a lot more tenuous than we think it is. All right. So let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. All right. The, the whole point of Glass is it was not supposed to put superheroes in a hyper reality. That's the thing. The Avengers are there to do that. The X-Men are there to do that. The whole point, especially if Unbreakable, but it's even sold as part of Glass, is that, yeah, but those are just exaggerations of what it's really like in the real world when there are superheroes. And so this movie tries to push those themes forward, but it ultimately undermines itself because it doesn't feel anything like the real world. Nothing about this feels like the real The Unbreakable felt like the real world. Unbreakable was like, yeah, oh. because there was in, there was inter like action took place within the world. The action in this film was completely sick. I wouldn't even necessarily say that this the action in this film. It's not that it ran counter to the real world to me, but it was wholly removed from the actual world. It was it sort of and existed. The, the in addition of the space. building, the addition of the building, especially as the big CGI shot at the end was just like, oh, mm -hmm. we are clearly in some other world. It just, you know, it's yeah, the building. Now. The building was meant to be a metaphor. I feel not a good one. I guess. I don't know. It's it's ultimately it's it's it. I can't think of anything that this movie was trying to do that it succeeded gloriously at. This movie fits right along with. And I, I've said this about I think I maybe said this about Split, but in like the worst way now, this movie fits right along with some other like it, it reeks of a 1990s low budget let's go see if it's not around something that nicholas cage or kurt russell might have shown up in the time you know breakdown or breakdown or eight millimeter or you know it was cheaply made and and it's good enough and it passes the time it's not a, a horrible failure but it does not meet its aspirations and it doesn't meet the promise of being an unbreakable sequel and it has you know a, a terrible performance by by the person we're supposed to care the most about. It's I can't. There's no way it gets a three. It gets a two point five. Sorry, guys. Uh, All right, uh, glass. There we go. If you got nothing else to do, there's no reason to actively avoid it. But I will say that that before this film, in terms of things in theater right, right now, I haven't even seen Mary Poppins Returns, but I've heard great things. Bumblebee is better than the scene this film into the spider verse is better than this film i haven't seen aquaman we got to see it soon because we should talk about it because i've heard very differing things um you know mm -hmm. i put this movie kind of like right along crimes of grindelwald it's fine but it's not what i wanted so it's not yeah it's this film might have been a lot better had it not been for the fantastic expectations that its predecessors had set up not even that it's not crap on a stick it's just not very good and that's mm -hmm. ultimately the thing it's 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 and there are very good options out there now you know it's it's you know it's we we live in a world we live in a world where you know taco hut just doesn't cut it anymore you know there's chipotle's right here caferio's right over there your local mexican restaurants right over here you've great mexican options but taco hut 
Mm-hmm. It's just not going to, it's not going to work anymore. It's just, well, and also, we're, we're also living in a world where people are going back to Taco Hut from the nineties and reinventing it in a way that's way cooler than it used to be. Yeah. And this is, um, this is like, that's, there's plenty is... of reboots out there from, from night. Like you, you mentioned nineties stuff. There's plenty of really amazing reboots of nineties things that are going on right now. Um, this is slightly yeah, better than we're, mediocre. We're, yeah. Oh, that's a good, I'd, so. I'd say, yeah, it's, it's a solid, I'd give this one a solid C plus. Yeah, I give it a solid C minus, but I don't think we're, you know, I think we're splitting hairs at this point. You know, so yeah, yeah, did, yeah. If if you've mm-hmm. seen everything, go out and see it. But I don't know. I, th- who I else think we can it. agree. We both. I, I think the one thing we definitely can agree on. We both wish this film had been better and done more. Yeah. Oh well. Well, we'll we'll, oh, we'll talk next time. We That's haven't pre-planned. Time. This is the first time in a while we've not pre-planned what our next movie is. Um, yeah. So next time, I was actually going to say let's. Next time, who knows? It's a mystery. What a twist! My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Try and stay super. One last reminder before you go to go to getcancelled.com. That's getcancelled.com to help us make cancellation the motion picture. Look at the rewards there. Look for opportunities to hear your voice and your message heard on Totally Super and Trek Off. Please help us make cancellation the motion picture by going to getcancelled.com or looking up cancellation on Kickstarter.